Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like it's allowed me to be more creative because I've been able to simplify the admin aspect of my podcast and focus on developing more valuable and creative content. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. Welcome to The Motivated Mind, where I challenge you to expand your perspective on how to achieve a successful life through motivational lessons, reflections, and interviews with other motivated minds. What is up? Welcome to episode 139. Thanks so much for listening. It means so much to me. If I've brought you any value, please be sure to leave a review and hit that subscribe button. Don't be a stranger. Shoot me a DM on Instagram or Facebook. Let me know what you want to hear more of, and please be sure to share the podcast. I'm truly grateful for your support. Thank you. We have a very special guest today, Chris Voss. He began his career as a member of the New York City Joint Terrorism Task Force before spending 24 years with the FBI. Here he worked as lead negotiator in the Crisis Negotiation Unit. Chris's years of experience of high stakes life and death negotiations, including more than 150 international hostage cases. Following his retirement from the FBI, Voss turned his hand to business negotiation, lecturing at several renowned business schools, including Harvard. He is also the author of the international bestseller, Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as if Your Life Depends on It, and now the CEO and founder of the Black Swan Group. Chris shares his journey as a negotiator and practical tips to apply those negotiation practices in your life. I hope you all enjoy our conversation. Chris, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure. I'm happy to be here. So I've been itching to tell you this little little story. When I first engaged with Elise, your logistics support uh, assistant back in March, I had the biggest smile on my face because when I read her first email that she sent me, I said, damn, does she have a good teacher? Because her first email read, this is going to seem very selfish and self-centered. And the following emails took that continued thoughtful approach. For those listening, what was the, the tactic, the angle here with Elise? Yeah, well, uh, our default wiring as human beings is to be a little bit negative. And that's early in the day when we're fresh, let alone as the day has worn us on. 
So we know that in anticipation and in that particular email, in order to get you scheduled, you know, we're going to ask for a lot of information up front. And if that's the opening email where we ask for that much, your reaction is going to be, Jesus, these guys are self-centered. You know, I'm, I'm bringing them an offer and they're turning around and giving me the third degree. So in order for it to make it emotionally easier for you to accept that, we're just calling out the elephant in the room in advance. You don't get rid of the elephant in the room by denying it's there or ignoring it. Your most effective thing to do is to call it out in anticipation. Even if you know the elephant's getting ready to come in the room, you know, why let it come in the room? And we're just, we're just trying to um, be as gentle as possible with our asks and increase the chances that we get what we ask for and we don't trigger resentment along the way. And that's, that's the whole, whole strategy. We want a long-term relationship and we know we rub you the wrong way. That's not going to help us on a long-term relationship. It's funny because the emotion that I went through was exactly what you described. And I think because I had read your book, I took a step back. One, I identified it, but two, I was like, man, had I not read his book, would I have picked up on that? And two, being able to feel the emotional pull of of that, just that sentence alone and it working, not like I had any disbelief reading your book, but seeing it in action with yourself, it brings a whole different experience for you. Chris, you've been in, I think, something like uh, 150 international hostage negotiations, which in itself is is mind-blowing. Out of those negotiations, which was the most challenging or the one that just sticks out amongst the rest today? And how did you navigate it? Because as I read your book, you gave amazing examples, but I was like, how did he filter through which ones to put in the book going through the Rolodex of all of these? Wow. Yeah, well, a lot of them stuck out for different reasons. I mean, um, first of all, you're not going to have, um, you're not going to bat a thousand. You know, there there is no guarantee of success. And the Black Swan method, you know, we recognize what we recognize in hostage negotiation, that the best chance of success means you're going to fail occasionally. Like, for example, hostage negotiators domestically have a success rate of about 93%, which if that was your close rate in business, you'd be doing great. But that means that 7% of the time, things are going to go bad. We're not going to negotiate the guy out. I would imagine the percentage in international kidnapping is about the same. And if you do enough, things are going to go bad. So if there's lessons learned, I mean, the, the Burnham Sabero case, which I talk about in the book, that went bad. That turned into an ugly train wreck. We use that as a way to get better. Um, there were al-Qaeda, the kidnap business they were in in 2004-ish was um, orchestrated murders. And we caught on to that really fast. And they wanted to make it look like they were bargaining when, in fact, they were never going to bargain and they were going to they were going to kill the hostage. Mm -hmm. You know, the hostage wasn't a hostage. The hostage was a victim. There's, you got to recognize whether or not they're a hostage, which has value as a bargaining chip, or a victim, which has value only if they kill them. And we w had to wade into a couple of cases where they were victim scenarios 
where we knew that they were going to kill the hostage. That doesn't mean that we give up. You know, we still apply everything we possibly could do in order to discourage a repeat behavior. And the 2004 timeframe was tough because that's exactly what happened. We ended up discouraging the behavior by the reaction to the murders that in late 2004, Al-Qaeda put an edict out to their people to stop murdering people on TV because it's bad for business. And that progression was hard to go through knowing what our chances were when they started and having to work with a victim's family, a victim to be's family, and not mislead them about what we thought the outcome was going to be. And the crazy thing about that, too, was people know they just want to find out if you're going to lie to them. I remember one case against Al Qaeda in particular. Um, Paul Johnson was grabbed by Al Qaeda in Saudi Arabia. And we connected, I got there and connected with his boss, who was a great human being, and his wife, who's the widow to be. And we laid out a game plan to try to embarrass Al Qaeda in the media, which ultimately worked, but not in that case. And Paul Johnson's boss looked at me and said, if she does what you ask, if she grants the interview that you want her to grant, is that going to save his life? And I remember I hesitated for a second. I thought, I can't lie to this guy. And how do I say this gently? And I said, this might not be within reach. And he said, I didn't think so. I just want to see if you're going to tell me the truth. And they did everything we asked. So, you know, that was hard, um, you know, hard. It wasn't my family member that got killed. Hard is a relative term. So there are cases like that, which we learned from. We got better. Either you, you win or you learn, Colin right. McGregor, right? You win or you learn. Right, right. So I'm I'm fascinated by this world of negotiation because it's funny. Anytime I've, since reading the book, anytime I'm in a challenging position, I think there are people on this planet that do this for a living, that literally negotiate life or death. Your position isn't so difficult anymore. How did you manage to balance that pressure? You know, I, I, I understand that you recognize that they're not all going to be wins, but we learn from them. But is there a time when that clicks in or is it just this kind of beat up mode all the time? Because this is, I feel like hostage negotiation has to be the most difficult job on the planet. <laughs> well, I saw a meme not that long ago saying, you know, this parenting stuff is really tough. I think I'll try something less stressful, like being a hostage negotiator. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. You know, um, it depends upon how long you do it. Mm -hmm. Like if, if our win rate is really high, then a lot of hostage negotiators who haven't actually negotiated that very many scenarios, nothing has ever gone bad. Mm -hmm. And they're like, ah, you know, I, you know, I handle this stuff, you know, and all my cases. Well, you haven't had that many cases. And I'd been working it for a while. Uh, Burnham Sabrell case was the first case that I was up to my eyeballs in where people got killed. And I had been repeating, you know, my, my boss, Gary Nessner, probably my most important mentor, if not the most important, certainly up there in the top three. You know, Gary used to always say, best chance of success, best chance of success, best chance of success. And 
when in the Burnham Severo case, it started going bad. I remember saying to myself, well, I guess I've been saying best chance of success for a while. I guess this is what this means. So I got to face up to the reality of my own words. And then what I found in hostage negotiation also, I, I look for people that were in cases that had gone bad where hostages had gotten killed because I want to see how they were going to react. Mm. And if they, if they doubled down, they were going to get better. Like, you know what? I got to get better. In those cases, they really, they either get better or they get out. Some of them were like, you know, let me go do evidence response. You know, things never go bad when you're when you're processing a crime scene. The crime has already com- been committed. You know, it sure. doesn't go bad. Mm-hmm. And some people did that, which is cool because they were in something that wasn't for them. Mm-hmm. But if they doubled down and they said, you know, I, I got to get better, then I would recruit those people. Those were the people that I wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that have that have been there, that have failed, that have that have felt that that I don't want to say bottom and and pull value away from that, but that are are able to kind of transcend through that experience. I think that's that's fascinating. I'm really curious. You've worn the negotiation hat for many many years now. How often do you go into negotiation mode, booking a room, purchasing a a coffee, upgrading your seat on a flight? Because I assume at this point, one, it's a natural state of mind for you, but two, in the most important piece, and I say this a lot on the podcast, it's like anything else. If you want a muscle to keep growing, you need to keep exercising it. And the mind is no different. Yeah, look, if you want to be a black swan, you know, if you want to learn a black swan method, and we have taken hostage negotiation and we've taken it to the next level with the black swan method, it's a perishable skill. It is not riding a bike. Um, and you gotta stay on, you gotta stay on your game. Con- unconscious competence is as a result of consistent repetition. So, yeah, I'm working on it all the time. It's a little harder for me in some ways because I have almost only small stakes negotiations uh, because I'm, I'm the speaker. I'm the face. I'm the spokes model for the Black Swan group. You know, but we are a team. You know, my son Brandon negotiates on our behalf all the time. Derek is our primary coach, superstar coach. Brandon coaches also. I mean, these guys are sharpening their – their their saw their you know their acts and ways they're far ahead of me so you know how do i stay i you know i i want everybody to have a good experience when they interact with me because that's the lift driver the starbucks guy you know whoever they be may be in a hotel you know i want them to feel positive for having interacted with me plus there's probably something i'm gonna need to ask them you know like I, I don't get the hotel I've been staying in in LA lately. I don't get just a late checkout. I, my late checkout's almost the next day because <laughs> I've been flying out of there late. You know, late checkout, they want to give you two. I'm going for 6 p.m. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, but, and they could do that for me as long as I'm not a pain in the neck, you know, and as long as I take into account what their restrictions are and make them feel good about it. So, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm improving people's interactions with me regularly because I'm going to have an ask or, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a positive force in the universe. If nothing else today, what Robbins, Tony Robbins likes to say, let me, let me be a blessing in the lives of everybody that I encounter today. 
Hmm. You know, if that is the default mode, it puts you in a good position to ask for stuff. <laughs> so true. Yeah, I, I say a lot, provide value. What's your North Star? What value are you providing to somebody? And I think I, I came across some data, speaking of, of value in a way here, which highlighted that your lesson on tactical empathy was the most watched chapter within the Masterclass platform. And this was, I believe, back in okay. April. And I wouldn't be surprised if this was still the case. And I think this is a very fitting place to, to venture down because the first time I entered into the sales world, there was this initial toxic thinking that yeah. I had, that negotiation or sales, and I've been in sales in over 12, 13 years now, was selfish and, and driven by merely getting this upper hand that you talk about. And right. there, there's so much more to this dimensional process. What is that the, the key to integrating empathy within negotiating? Well, the first key is to recognize what empathy is and more principally what it's not. Like empathy is not agreement. Empathy is not uh, liking. Empathy is not compassion. It's a compassionate thing to do. And it's a first step towards compassion. You know, compassion is reaction to the transmission of information. And empathy is a transmission of information. Transmission and reaction, two different things. So if you can define empathy, take it out of today's cultural vernacular, which is the cultural vernacular is empathy is I agree. I have sympathy for you. I feel bad for you. I'm on your side. Just take it a step back and make it understanding only. Only. Not agreement, not concern, not sympathy, not liking. Then it becomes this unlimited skill of influence and relationship building accelerates your ability to develop a relationship. It accelerates your ability to gather information. The other side's got stuff they're hiding. If you pry it out of them, they resent it, which then interferes in the deal downstream. If you gain their trust and develop a relationship and they give it to you voluntarily, First of all, it takes less time to get it voluntarily than it does to pry it out of them. Shocking as that may sound. Secondly, there's no resentment, which creates downstream problems. So empathy becomes this accelerator if you can define it as such. Like if you're going to disagree with somebody, you're going to put a counterproposal on, on, on the table. You know, before I make a counterproposal, let me make sure I understand where you're coming from and lay it out. And don't go to your proposal, your counterproposal, until they've given you a that's right. You've got where I'm coming from correctly. That's the gateway. If you shut up after they say that's right, the chances are extremely high that they will go ahead and make a counterproposal or concession or an agreement at that point in time before you make your proposal, which is awesome because then it's coming out of their mouth. You didn't pry it out of them. Now, how often does that happen that they just agree after they say that's right? How often does it have to happen? Again, this is about win rates, success rates, not interfering with 
the relationship or the downstream implementation. And then empathy becomes the accelerator for everything. When I for and I've been guilty of this until I read your book about the the silence piece. We actually deployed this. So right after we read your book, and I say we, my rep in Colorado, we deployed this on a customer on going silent on the line. And it was funny because he was coaching me before on how we wanted to approach this customer. And he said, it will work. And we sat on that line and just went silent. And you um, you hit it right on the head in your book with this because he goes, are you guys still there? Like, yep, we're just taking notes. And he just nice. kept going and kept going. And he backed himself into a spot where I don't want to say back because that, that sounds negative, but he put himself into a position where he started to reevaluate his initial point that he brought up right. to us that right. the problem was with us or the products. And he started to rethink, actually, did I test those other products? And it was really interesting to watch the mechanics of all of this really unfold because it's one thing to read something. It's one thing to watch a video of something. And it's a whole nother thing to actually deploy it and see the human right. behavior completely unfold and almost plop into these holes that you had laid out in the book. And I was in complete shock that it went exactly as you stated. And I shouldn't have yeah. been because obviously you've got the experience. Well, you know, some people describe negotiation as the art of letting the other side have your way. All right. So that's cool. But then how do you do it? Hmm. Well, you let them talk themselves into the deal. That's why in our personal relationships, a great sounding board is a human being, somebody that you can bounce stuff off of. You know, it makes sense in your head, but as soon as it starts coming out of your mouth and you hear yourself say it, then there's a really good chance you're going to start to reevaluate this. And it's so much more powerful to let them do that in a respectful fashion because you know, it sounds stupid, but it makes more sense when it comes out of their mouth. You got, you know, you let, you let them talk. You don't. Uh, and so we got bad examples, all the bad examples, every TV and movie, you know, people make a case, you know, they make the argument, they explain Reagan said, if you're explaining, you're, you're losing. Well, you're not shocked that it happens because all of your modeling in TV and movies, people talk somebody into something. And then a person goes like, Oh my God, thank God you said that. I feel so much better. That doesn't happen in real life. In real life, they got to say it themselves. They don't, they, it's not when they're pas passively saying it. Like a, a book that I'm reading right now is a great example of this uh, Dopamine, the Molecule of More. So they're giving people a test on cheating. Uh, they don't know the people that are going through this, they don't know what the study is, but. Here's what they did. They, they take a test group and you give them a lecture on cheating. And then you put them through an exercise and the temptation to cheat is really high and, and they get X percentage cheating. Now they got another sample group, pretty much the same sample group. Instead of giving them the lecture on cheating, they have them give you the lecture on cheating. The articulation of the same thoughts go from them hearing them to them saying them. Cheating rates on a subsequent exercise drop dramatically. 
same ideas, are they articulating them or are they hearing them? Take that into negotiation. Let somebody talk themselves into the exact deal that you would have proposed. If your ego doesn't get in the way, if you don't have to say it and you have to win, let them give them a chance to talk themselves into the deal. Just like cheating rates will drop, their cheating on your deal will drop. It'll be a much more implementable deal. You know, with any negotiation, listening, right, is that, that key component. And I, I, in the past, had struggled with that, really listening to listen, digesting information, not just listening to have it bounce off the head, because there was this idea that once the words came out of the other person's mouth, it was, what is the counter to those words? Right. As opposed to really mirroring and repeating those words back to them, back to that right. other individual. And that's right. another piece of this empathy component that I that I love when someone truly we all as humans want to want to feel heard. I mean, yeah. all of us show from the root. Look at how popular social media is because we all want right. to be, or a lot of people want to be center of attention, want their voice heard. What I'm doing, hey, look at me. And it's so funny when you put it in that context and you sit there. And you just repeat back the end of the conversation, how much of a difference that creates with the other person to say, wow, you actually care about me. You actually hear what I'm saying. And you have interest that just is not lying on your side of the fence here. You're really understanding of where I'm coming from. And something such as simple as that is just this, this brilliant breakthrough and it's this bridge that I see metaphorically building with that other person. A thousand percent. I mean, it's kind of amazing that it's so overlooked that the, the desire to be heard is such a compulsion and so satisfying and creates such a bond from the person who's been heard towards the person that hurt them. I mean, how is it that we ignore this on a regular basis? Yet we see the evidence for it everywhere. And we don't implement it. It's mm -hmm. crazy. And it, it's it's almost like I say in sales a fair bit, become the consumer. You know, we, we right. walk into the sales room or wherever we walk into the office and all of a sudden we're we're the, the salesperson. Well, you're a consumer when you walk out the front door. You're a consumer while you're sitting on home on home on your laptop shopping on Amazon. What right. would you want? What would you want? Yeah. In yeah. in the, in the high stakes world of just life, emotions are obviously readily available, and can be, I'd say, challenging to control for most people. Right? With negotiating, how how do you balance that that influx of those emotions just rushing in while staying clear headed in the moment and and slowing yourself down to focus on the present? Yeah, absolutely good challenge because as human beings, our default mechanism, our survival mechanism is not success. Our default mechanism, there's a difference between reacting to survive and reacting to succeed. And those are two mindsets. And so really to become a black swan, you got to understand the difference and then begin to trigger it. So one of the things that we've come to learn 
crazily enough, the application of empathy with the other side is going to smooth you out. Like you want to, on my Instagram feed a couple of weeks ago, I put up uh, tactical empathy does more for you than it does for them. And it does a lot for them. Like the exercise of empathy so levels you out. We're working on some material uh, recently. My son's talking about a story. My son runs the company. I mean, he's 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 the he's the team captain. He holds us together. He's been grounded in this stuff since he was two years old. He got he got an earlier start in life on this than I did. You know, I didn't learn until I was in my thirties. I'm excited to have him on. He's coming on, I think, in uh, June. I'm I'm pumped so, to talk to Brandon. Yeah, yeah. He's he's got an interesting perspective. Uh, and you could ask him about this. Like uh, he's 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 with his now wife, mother of his child, also in my company, Maya. And they're at a super tough spot and she is leaving. She is packing her bags. And he he knows she's she's too important to him. I mean, what they've been through together, they deservedly belong together because they're both phenomenal people. But he, what's he got to do? He's got to he's got to exercise some empathy. He's got to he's got to get a that's right out of her. He's telling us a story because when he got a that's right out of her, he sat down. He thought about her perspective, all the stuff that he'd done wrong, how big of a jerk he'd been. You know, and this introspection on his part was also authentic. You know, th- this isn't this isn't disingenuous. You know, the black swan method is not disingenuous. You're going to do this inventory. You're being authentic. And he thinks he's pretty much got it covered. And he sits it down and says, all right, look. Here's why you're mad and what I did wrong. And I'm, you know, I'm owning up to it. I realize I'm I'm going to say this because it's the truth. I did this wrong. I was this kind of a jerk. I did that. I did that. I did that. And he's did a thorough enough job because he's introspective and he's, his emotional intelligence and his ego is not getting in the way. And she literally says, that's right. I'll stay. And he's telling us his story. And I say, you know, you do you realize how much that leveled you out to go through that process? Because when you sat down to save your relationship, you were furious too. I mean, you guys had had, you know, one of these tough arguments between a couple when they say some stuff, they start saying stuff to each other that's just like damaging because when couples are mad and they're hurt, that's what they do. And I said, the, what you just described in applying empathy to someone else leveled you out, smoothed you out, got rid of all the toxic emotions, which are actually toxic chemicals, which is why a negative attitude actually makes people sick. I mean, you did all this stuff to help somebody else and it helped you more than it helped her. And so your question initially was, you know, how do we level ourselves out? When you start working to genuinely apply empathy in a situation with somebody else, It'll do more for you than it will for them. And it's amazingly good for them. So think of how good it is for you. That's an amazing story with Brandon. 
it and it's a thousand percent true. I feel like many people probably listening have been in this place where they felt that mellow out that I'm in your shoes. I'm com- you probably feel the heart rate going down and you reflect back on all of that. It's 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 a hundred percent accurate. When when many of us are are in any type of ne- negotiation, we have this this urge, this impulse to to get it our way. And we were kind of talking about this to convince the other person that our right. vision, our our service, our product, our way of thinking, our mindset is just superior and it's the the right way. We are so dedicated to that sometimes and that that head rush of of brute force only makes the other person speak of empathy pull back even harder. Right. How right. can you bring that person from defense mode to truly thinking about their perspective without sounding so aggressive? You know, this is the application, and it's putting a fine point on Stephen Covey's advice from way back when. You know, Covey said, seek first to understand, uh, then be understood. So people have wanted to shorthand that, and first they'll say, okay, well, I understand. Therefore, since I do, my argument must be compelling. And I understand, so they're going to understand my great argument. No, (laughs) that ain't it. And then people go like, okay. If I say I understand, they'll they'll be relieved, mm-hmm. and then I can tell them. Then I can explain to them. Again, Reagan said, "If you're explaining, you're losing." Mm-hmm. No, you know, and Brandon will bring this up when you talk to him. Like, you've never had an experience where somebody said to you, "I understand," and you went, "Oh my God, I feel so much better." <laughs> right? Because actually, "I understand" is shorthand for, you know, shut the heck up. I'm getting ready to talk. Right. So what Covey was really driving at was demonstrate understanding. And when they feel understood, they will release significant amount, significant amounts of opposition to your point of view. And it's at that point that they'll rethink their position. So you get a that's right out of somebody. You know, Brandon get it gets to that's right out of his bride and she agrees to stay now she might not have agreed to stay but she would have agreed to listen Hmm. and you cannot get somebody's ears open until they feel understood and that's the whole point and the reason why this is an accelerator and it saves you from downstream problems Because the real cost of doing business is an implementation failure or implementation difficulties. That's where the real cost is. And as much as tactical empathy, you know, the black swan method accelerates you to agreement. What it really does is keep you from encountering obstacles entirely on the other side of the deal which are always more costly. Hmm. It's like kicking the ball down the field, right? It's in front of me. It's an obstruction right now, but getting those yeses or understood as opposed to those that's right is so momentary. It's great for the moment or so it seems, but 
you're going to encounter further friction down the road, which I think right. is is the natural state of a lot of human beings. Just our our, our mindset is it's very short term. We normally right. a majority of us do not think in long term. I mean, when you look at the courses that are out there and all of these other things, like I can help you become a millionaire overnight. There's there's such a lack of 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 long term thinking. Or I've right. got to do these things now. I've got to put in the work now. And it's always what's the shortest way? What are the hacks to get? my way or to be more successful or to become happier or to become more efficient. It's always this much, this I'm looking down at my feet, not looking ahead of me. And it's, it's interesting because when I, for, when I was, I think 16, I got my motorcycle license. And one thing that they tell you when driving a motorcycle is that when you take a turn, whether it's right or left, you're looking way ahead into where you want to go, not down at your, not down at your front tire. And if you even pivot your head, wherever you pivot your head, that's where the bike's going to go. And there was one point, it's just like epiphany that I came to in life where I was like, oh my God, it's this distance. It's looking ahead. It's being thoughtful about projection in your North Star rather than being so short term and focused on the now piece because the rushing and the engagement of just getting that thing done now sacrifices so many other things down the road. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, we have so few actual good role models around us, you know, because you, you notice an instant success. You know, like, like who got the most, you know, what troll said the most negative thing on social media today about whoever, you know, Kim Kardashian, uh, Caitlyn Jenner, uh, you know, somebody on the right, Tucker, uh, Tucker Carlson, you know, what troll hit him and that troll got the most likes in the moment. And then that, you know, that troll is never heard from again. And, you know, they, they go into obscurity. So the reinforcement in our in our day to day really doesn't help us see the long term. You know, we're get, we're getting a lot of short term reinforcement without seeing how many people go fade into oblivion because of the sacrifice of what they did for the moment. So it's really hard to see that our instantaneous feedback. And then if we do get a win as a result of a, a short term, very negative thing, we don't see the co- the long term costs. Um, you know, aggressive business people score really big wins up front and then they have trouble getting people to come to the table after a while. I was, you know, I'm coaching, uh, long, uh, a number of years ago, like right after I'm, I, I got out of the bureau, I'm talking to this aggressive CEO and I'm an aggressive guy. So I've had the same problem in the past. And he's like, I have such a reputation for always getting the best deal that people won't engage with me because to deal with me is to lose. And he said, I got a, I got a deal on my table right now. The CEO on the other side has been there and agreed to each and every point. There's nothing in there he hasn't agreed to. He won't sign it. Because my reputation is I always get the best of people. And he knows that merely signing the deal with me will make him look in the industry like he lost. 
And he's got a legitimate reason that his board might fire him, even if the deal is good. And that's what really aggressive short-term win negotiators get into. You know, they, they hit a couple of home runs and it's such an addiction that before long, they don't, they notice that it takes them a long time to notice that nobody's coming up, nobody's engaging. You can't hit a home run if the other side doesn't come to the table. And that's what, that's what happens to aggressive negotiators. Right. That, that feedback loop almost crumbles because eventually there's a point where those you're, it's that addiction that you're talking about. And by the time that you're so addicted to that experience or those short term wins, you've diluted all of the feedback that anybody could give you because all those people that could give you feedback are now pushed away because nobody wants to deal with your shit in negotiating. Nobody wants to deal because they know that you're just going to get your way. That's it. There is no empathy. There is no listening. There is no putting yourself in their shoes. Yeah. 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 I mean, um, Blockbuster was a great example. Well, you know, their CEO was famous for slamming his hands on the table and storming out, being a real aggressive guy. And and he built this phenomenally huge company. And then where's Blockbuster? Just went away. Just non-existent. And, you know, you could say, well, you know, the the environment, you know, wasn't at fault. Hey, there have been there have been no shortage of companies that reinvented themselves and kept up with technology. Mm. You know, being a slam your hands on the table, yelling at people kind of guy discourages the people that can help you transform and pivot from working with you. Why should they? Mm. All you're going to do is yell at them. Mm. It's funny, Chris, that you bring this up. I'm three quarters of the way through the book, Netflixed the attention of uh, the consumer's eyes, I believe is a subtitle. Yeah. And in that book, they talk about exactly what you're talking about with Blockbuster. And like many companies, there's this world of politics. And there was a gentleman trying to get a seat on the board at the time because Netflix was rising and Blockbuster was in a horrible, horrible position. You know, nobody was, VHS was going down, DVD sales were going up. This was before their streaming service really got full throttle. And the CEO, I believe it was the CEO, had one of the seats on the board um, and he was getting pushed out and he didn't want to get pushed out. And there was this giant battle. And what was so interesting that they describe in the book is there was no attention for the business, or at least the people on the board, the politics at play. It all turned inward, where they were focused on almost selling and pushing each other. And it was this just inter- just this cave-in of blockbuster, as if right. things weren't already going your way from an external standpoint and adapting to where consumers want rather than trying to force this square peg in a round hole. Here you are where you're in a position now not focusing on consumer behavior and how that's changing and pivoting, but now you're so entrenched and so focused on this, this seat. And selling or pushing or figuring out your way to make sure that he doesn't get on the seat. And correction, I, the CEO wasn't on the on the board, but this gentleman was trying to get in. He did not want him in because he was known for his extremely aggressive tactics. And Blockbuster at that time, obviously a 
publicly traded company. And so it's just so fascinating that you brought that up because it's a point uh, that uh, a road that I wanted to go down. Yeah. And when you when you get real aggressive like that, when you start engaging in overtly negative behavior, um, you get tunnel vision. Mm. Mm. And which means you're not thinking you're missing right. opportunities. Right. That peripheral vision is just non-existing at that point. Right. I know I've 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 been guilty of this, but being thoughtful and even the the tone of your voice and you highlighted this beautifully in your book with a negotiation where I think it was a few bad guys were, were held up in a hotel or an apartment. What were those types of voices and, and the benefit of each one? Because there, I think there's a lot of value there. Yeah. Well, you know, there's basically is essentially three voices and a couple of nuances on inflection. You know, there's the aggressive assertive voice, which is my natural default voice. And a third of us are natural born assertives. And I can remember even among hostage negotiators, I once had a colleague telling me when I was being my assertive self, dealing with you is like getting hit in the face with a brick. That's always counterproductive. Like if I'm in my natural tone of voice, it's never good. Never. Now the analyst voice and the analyst, you know, they're, they're more cautious. You know, it's a little bit more of the late night. FM DJ, you know, natural downward inflecting, which is calming and soothing. And, and there's a, there's neurochemical responses that back that up. You know, we did that voice in hostage negotiation. We didn't know why it worked. We just knew it worked, you know, which is why I know what works at black swan method. We know what works. A lot of it. We know the neurochemical reasons for now these days, but, you know, I don't care what the reasons are. I just know what works. But it turns out it calms everybody down in all situations. Now, the only thing you have to worry about with that voice, if you're very analytical, is if you're not careful, you're going to come off as cold and distant. And so you got to tr- try to put just a little bit of warmth or regard in it. And if you're thinking, you know, your inner voice betrays your outer voice. There's regard in your, in your, in your heart, in your head, when you're saying it, then it won't be cold and distant. And the third voice is, you know, the relationship oriented person, the, the amicable person, the, you know, the smiling person. If you just smile when you talk, it'll come out in your voice. Now I, I got, I got, um, uh, he wrote the book, uh, getting more Stuart diamond, uh, negotiation professor at Wharton. He's my source of data on this. And Stuart is an analytical super analyst. So I, I view him as a, uh, a solid data source. I heard him once say in a uh, lecture, you're six times more likely to make a deal with somebody you like. Well, there's a fine line between likable and needing to be liked. You can completely control whether or not you're likable. You can smile. And you're likable. Now throw in another stat. Sean Acker, Harvard uh, prof- psychologist, Ted Talk, The Happiness Advantage. You're 31% smarter in a positive frame of mind. Now you're beginning to see how being likable, smiling, begins to play in your benefit. So the real trick 
really to, to, to be a black swan is to start to con- combine the downward inflecting voice with a smiling voice. Now, the, the greatest example of that, that that I know of off the top of my head, Lori Grenier from Shark Tank. Like, she's got it nailed. And one of my favorite moments in Shark Tank was she basically told Mark Cuban and Kevin O'Leary to shut up. And they did. Because they kept trying to interrupt her, you know, like assertives do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, men do not have the market cornered on interrupting others. They're just more of us doing it more often. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're interrupting her. To, you know, they're throwing you know verbal rocks at her while she's trying to negotiate with the the entrepreneur, and she just smiles and she goes, "Just sit back and watch me negotiate." <laughs> and the downward inflection with the smile, and both of them shut up <laughs> on the spot. Right. And I'm like, if you can shut up, Kevin O'Leary. And Mark Cuban simultaneously, you're good at something. You've got and I loved done. watching her do that. And so, you know, she, she, you know, she, I like, I love to tell her she's a black swan. Mm-hmm. She put those two things together. That's remarkable. It's, it's amazing how just the inflection in your voice can change everything. Even I, I started this practice of smiling on the phone with people when I was in the headspace of I was in a tight position before something challenging or stressed out or whatever the case is, just the the lip movement ear to ear, people can hear on the other line. And it's funny because a, a few weeks back, one of our distributors called us and when he picked up the phone, I didn't kind of get in this headspace and immediately he said, oh, you sound tired today. And I remember just looking up in the air like, damn. I should have waited a couple more seconds before I picked up that phone. Had I just gotten that headspace and put on that, brought that voice forward. And so it's, a, it's just amazing how as humans, we pick up on these subtle details and we register right. them so subconsciously that right. we don't even really think about it. But yet once they do actually happen, we understand the value and the impact that they create and but they're just so small and so subtle even just the the choice of of words the tone in our voice all of these different things even any relationship whether it be business or in a relationship and i've found myself in my relationship being very thoughtful about the tone of my voice too as well when i'm talking really finding myself calming down before having a conversation or trying to really articulate something so it doesn't sound like i'm coming off aggressive or in that sales mode because I am naturally a really freaking energetic person. And to some people that can be very um, off putting. And so I've got to really work on how I, how I communicate to other people and make sure that it's receptive to them. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. Thousand percent. And it's kind of fun when you start practicing with it. Right. Right. It's actually a lot of fun. It's a thousand percent fun. So I heard this amazing quote and I want to end with this amazing quote because it was from uh, someone pretty interesting. Um, Negotiation is not the act of battle. It's a process of discovery. The goal is to uncover as much information as possible. I just wanted your sentence that you put together there. I love and I now have this on a sticky note. 
because it just holds so much value and it's a reminder for myself. And I wanted to really leave on a note here, reminding other people that negotiation is about discovery, not selling yourself, not pushing yourself. And when you can go into explore mode, you can expose all of those black swans. And I just, I, I love, I love this. I didn't know if you had anything more to say on this, but this is something now that I'm, I'm going to stick by because it's, it acts as a constant reminder for me to to think, to explore, to dig, to ask more questions, to put on the monocle and the trench coat and really play lead investigator on on these conversations. Right. Yeah. And it is as a self-maintenance reason for that too. You know, if you're if you approach it that way, you have more energy. You see patterns more quickly. You're getting much closer to, you know, what Stephen Kotler would say, being in flow. And flow is, you know, the ultimate human performance mindset. You can get more done. You're happier. You're more effective. And those are all great things. So if you're in discovery mode, curiosity mode, you're going to make better deals consistently and across the board just with that tiny little mindset shift Mm -hmm. chris i i want to thank you for your time i ever since i read your book i was like i need to get this guy on the podcast i need him to share his wisdom and i remember when it was either i don't know if you're doing all of the dms on your instagram but when i had first messaged you and you had done kind of the same approach as elise and then i'd reached out to elise and she said chris is busy nowadays and you can imagine and i was mirroring her in the email i i almost brought it up earlier today and i wondered if i was trying to put myself in elise's shoes is she sitting there smirking saying this guy thinks he's slick we live and breathe this every day but um, I thank you again for for hopping on. And when I saw the email from Elise, hey, you still interested in having Chris on? I was like, um, yeah. Is the is the sky blue? I'm I'm stoked to have him on. So thank you for your time. I I know it's hard to come by, and thank you for sharing your wisdom and and leaving a piece here. Where can people find Never Split the Difference? And especially those that own their own business that are looking at the services of the Never or the um the black swan group um where can where can they find both these things yeah if you want to be a black swan if you want to learn a black swan method which look if nothing else you're happier and you're making more deals we got a text to sign up function and just the words that we want you to send is black swan method three words spaces between not cap sensitive send the message black swan method to the number 33777. That's 33777. Black Swan Method. If you've executed it, if I've described it adequately, you'll get a text response back asking you for your email address. That signs you up for our weekly newsletter, which is complimentary, but more important than complimentary, it's concise and actionable. Comes out Tuesday mornings, you know, because you got Monday behind you, short, sweet, actionable information. You know, the Wall Street Journal 10-point briefing. I don't read that because I don't got time to go through 10 in-depth points. Mm. Good data. I just, I can't absorb it all. Our newsletter is concise, actionable. 
and it's the gateway to everything on our website. We got tons of free material. There's uh, announcements about new material that's in there if you're interested, but it's actionable and it's free. And it's the gateway to everything that we offer. Honestly, again, thank you for sharing your time. And that book sitting in the background there, there isn't a single person that I've interacted with that I haven't spoke to about that book. So I'll continue to to share the message and hopefully we can get other people to see the value and the wisdom that you shared here today and hop on the book too as well. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to The Motivated Mind with your host, Scott Lynch. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Chris Voss around negotiating success. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at the motivated underscore mind and on Facebook at The Motivated Mind Podcast. Don't forget to join me next week for another episode. I love you all, and thanks so much for listening. Motivated Mind is a mindset production.